Hey everybody, it's Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake, and you're listening to the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your hosts Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now crank it up. Thinking about the good times, baby, remembering the bad. Memories of broken dreams only make me sad. What's up, people? As we do so often on this show, while my partner in crime, Hollywood, is out roasting marshmallows with Jeff Scott Soto or having a pool party over there at uh, Richie Cotson's house, I have the pleasure of bringing back to the Grown Up Rock podcast, Whitesnake guitarist Joel Hoekstra. Joel's an amazing player who splits his time playing with Whitesnake, Cher, and Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And that's just when he's not playing with other artists like Michael Sweet or doing the Bloody Mary Hangover morning gig on the Monsters of Rock cruise every February. And that's a lot of fun, I gotta tell you. As somebody who took part in that last year, I enjoy that feature on the Monsters of Rock cruise. Whitesnake just recently released their 13th studio album called Flesh and Blood, the first album of original material since Forevermore in 2011, and the first original album to feature our friend, Mr. Joel Holstra. Please welcome back to the Growing Up Rock podcast, one of the hardest working act slingers in rock and roll today, Mr. Joel Holstra. What up, Joel? What's happening? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So you and I were just talking uh, before we started recording here. You just finished up the U.S. run with White Snake, and now you're back out with Cher till the end of this month, and then it's back to uh, Europe uh, and uh, do another leg with White Snake. Correct? Yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, just doing a, a run with Cher uh, here in Canada. Had a great run in the U.S. of Whitesnake, and then uh, Whitesnake in Europe is up next, and then a residency in Vegas with Cher, kind of on the heels of that. So, yeah, busy, busy. Yeah, and we're here today to talk about the killer new Whitesnake album, Flesh and Blood. I've had a chance to spend some time with this record now. I've had a chance to see the band live twice on this tour so far. Awesome. Well, thank you, and I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, it's been good so far. I've enjoyed everything. Flesh and Blood is the 13th studio album released in May of 2019, so this year, this month, uh, as we're recording this. You co-wrote six tunes, I think, and Reb co-wrote five. Is that correct? I think on the basic, yes. And then on the deluxe, I think add a song for each of us. So I think I technically co-wrote seven songs if you get the deluxe edition, which I recommend actually, because it, the uh, bonus tracks are good tunes. Yeah, I've got the deluxe version. I, I do want to talk to you about one of those tunes on that deluxe version because I like it quite a bit and wanted to get the story on that. So the last album for Whitesnake of original material was Forevermore back in 2011. You came into the band around 2015 when the band did Purple. Is that right? Uh, I joined in 2014 for the recording of the Purple album. Yeah. So I think somewhere in spring of 2014, and then we were recording that. And then by the time we headed out, it was 2015 on the Purple tour. So technically, this is the first original album with both you and Reb kind of contributing, right? I view the Purple album like we contributed a lot in terms of creativity and re in reimagining the songs, but certainly Flesh and Blood is the next step in terms of contribution, yeah. Especially seeing as along the way David brought me in as co-producer. Yeah, so that was my next question. And yeah, I was referring to the original material, which Purple, of course, is the revisiting of uh, the Deep Purple stuff. But Joel, this is the third album on Frontiers Records. Who produced this record? Did you just say that you were co-producing on this record? 
Uh, yeah. So David's, of course, the executive producer, and then I believe it was produced by Michael McIntyre, uh, Red Beach, and myself. That's cool. And you guys, you recorded it up at uh, David's place in Tahoe. Is that right? No, actually, there's a studio house, and that's actually in neighboring Reno. So that's where we kind of it, – it's really cool. It's uh, We basically stay there when we're out there, and so it's really nice. You wake up, and you're already there. David usually comes down from the house and stays there too, so you're kind of hanging out with David solid the whole time, and that's a good time. That's great. So can you take us through the recording process? Were you guys ever in the same room – while recording the record, I'm guessing with everyone's having such busy schedules, you may have all come in at different times to record your parts. Yeah, not the entire band. So the way it worked is David would have myself out for a writing session or Reb out for a writing session. And then there was one period where it was both of us. And it was our job during that stretch to demo the songs, which we did basically with just a MIDI drums in Pro Tools, like a, essentially a drum machine. And uh, one of us would play bass. And so we'd hash out the form of the song, get it approved by David, and then the, all those demos went to the band. And so when everybody came in to record their parts, they came in knowing it, uh, were able to study it at home. So Tommy, of course, the way it usually works with a band is the drums go down first, and then everybody records to the drums. So, yeah, this was very much just like that. It just kind of went like Tommy and I think Reb actually went on next. And I think he was about halfway done when I came in to do mine. And then Reb at the end after me. And then I think, you know, Michele. Uh, but everybody, David likes to have everybody in there. So he's hands on and able to uh, to work with us creatively. Yeah, now I assume the touring band are all the same players that are on the record, correct? Yeah, yeah, the touring lineup is the same as the studio lineup. That's great. So uh, I think maybe it'd be a good idea, if you want, let's go through the record and just talk about the tracks. Tell us uh, which ones you wrote, and if you've got any stories attached to them, let's, uh, let's discuss. Sure, absolutely. Well, so the album opens up with Good to See You Again. I love this song. It sounds like Whitesnake, but it sounds different for me for some reason. Like, uh, I don't know, just a different side to it. Who's playing the slide guitar? Is that you? It's actually both. So I'm playing like the, the main, the riff in the chorus uh, is a slide riff that I'm playing. And then Reb is kind of playing the I guess the more ACDC-ish sounding riff at the top of the song, Reb is playing the fake slide with his Floyd Rose. So it's basically Reb and myself. Yeah, it's a great song. It, it, uh, there's a lot of slide playing on this record. Who wrote Good to See You Again? So I wrote the riffs to that, and David wrote the vocals. Reb kind of tweaked the riff, basically. The... Um, he basically suggested that as an alternate in there uh, when we, we were laying it down and tracking it. So I think technically it's written by all three of us. Sure. Now, when David's writing, is he bringing vocal melodies and lyrics to it? He doesn't play, right? No, David plays guitar. He doesn't track like on the album. Sure. But he... He plays guitar well enough to write riffs and I, and all the song ideas. Okay. Um, so all, most of the stuff was done 
like with him having an idea and some of the stuff was Reb or myself having an idea. So David handles all the lyrics and vocal melodies on uh, the White Snake stuff. That's that's just like a given. So it's basically our job to give him great beds to sing over. That makes sense. That makes total sense. And it's nice when a singer can at least play a riff on a guitar rather than probably just humming it to you. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it, it helps a ton that he plays guitar at the level he does. Yeah. Uh, so then we go into Gonna Be All Right. I like this song pretty good. Uh, there's more slide in the solo section of this song. Whose composition is this? So that is David and myself. And that was an idea that David set out to, in his mind, for a Coverdale Page follow-up. So he had written that main riff, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, with Jimmy Page in mind. cool to eventually down the road have that idea and he said this was uh, gonna be for jimmy page <laughs> yeah. so he had to downgrade significantly but he finished it with me when you guys are are hanging out does he share a lot of stories with you guys does he get into some of those stories yeah here and there yeah. and it's really cool when he does because for the most part david likes to just be one of the guys and and laugh and hang out and have a good time and then Every once in a while, he'll slip into something like that where he's talking about working with Jimmy or working with Richie Blackmore, and, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> you're, you're a total legend. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a piece of rock and roll history. I always picture David just because of the way he comes off in interviews and, and just how he looks in the public eye. I always kind of picture David as walking around with like a chalice and a smoking jacket on for some reason. I think he's just a lot more, he's a lot more about laughs than anybody realizes. I think if you follow him on Twitter, you kind of get that. Yeah. You see David, he just loves to, to laugh and enjoy life. And uh, we have a good time together. Yeah. hundred percent get that. Uh, then we get into the first single from the record and the first video, Shut Up and Kiss Me. I love this song. Tell me about the video. Did you guys uh, really play a club for this shoot, or was it just a soundstage? Uh, it was just basically built into the studio house I was talking about. So okay. they, they built like a soundstage so we could just kind of hang and 
not uh, have pressure on us timing wise and and then uh, it was really david's we had one take where it was basically just the band playing it and uh all with local friends and stuff invited to come hang and then david had the vision of the jaguar and all the cutaway footage and that eventually became the video that everybody saw so if you get the deluxe edition i think there's also a dvd where you see the video where it's just the band playing it so uh, without the cutaway footage as well. So there's two different versions of the video. Very cool. What was the situation with this song? Who ended up writing this one? That's all Reb's riffs, and David wrote the lyrics and melodies and, and the hook and everything. So, yeah, that, that one I didn't have much to do with. I suggested the uh, whatever you want, whatever you need, baby. The responses, that actually kind of came from me, but not enough to be considered a co-write. Right. Came out really well. Hey You is next. And I think you guys may have played this one live when I saw you, but I thought it went over really well with the gang course and stuff. up with this tune yeah it was in the set for the u.s and uh reb had that collection of riffs and it was ordered the other way around the chorus riff was the verse riff at the time and he was like i don't know i don't know if this is gonna make it and i said well that's that should be a chorus riff and then he said well what would you sing and i kind of you know showed him the the concept of a gang vocal being in those holes and and he liked that it kind of took off from there in terms of uh, momentum us working on it and yeah there you go man yeah. and then i i think i i wrote the bridge riff which is kind of like an ethereal i guess a, a different vibe it just kind of and then kind of convinced david to, to do some talking over it and do that sexy coverdale voice over it so <laughs> Do you end up having to uh, pitch David some of this stuff and really sell him on on some of your thoughts and ideas, or is he fairly easy to convince? He's just usually knows exactly yes or no, which is great. He's he's really direct and really quick, and it's better that way. It's great when everybody's totally honest, and when we do, we've been working together long enough that we can just be totally honest and laugh about it. If there's something an idea I have that he doesn't like, I I don't take offense. Nobody's ever going to bat a thousand in those scenarios so it's it's all about you know making the team work making the band work and having fun in the process yeah he has his his vision and i'm sure if you approach it in that way it's a lot less stressful it's really not stressful it's just a, it's actually just about being mentally in tune with with david with all all of this stuff with writing and and record like guitar part ideas and we're almost we're on the same page almost all the time you know it, it really i don't want to make it sound like he's shooting down ideas left and right because that doesn't happen and i don't i think if he was going through that it would be too laborious for him we're, yeah. we're on the same page i'd say 98 percent of the time that's a great working relationship yeah totally 
always and forever. So for me, this song was probably the first one on the record that actually sounded to me like maybe it belonged or came from an older White Snake period of time. I think that this one sounded more old White Snake than anything before it. This has a huge Thin Lizzy vibe to it, almost the same as Guilty of Love from Slided In. What can you tell me about this tune? Because I love it. That one's all David. He had the chords, and I tried to dress up the chords into a riff a little bit more that I guess uh, would give it that White Snake vibe. But outside of that, it's David's writing. And honestly, I think it's uh, he, he has David has a lot of influences, and I think that that kind of taps a little bit into it. He's talked in the past about how. Whitesnake is influenced by Motown songs. And I think if you listen to just the chorus, if you slowed it down and gave it like a Motown groove, Always and Forever can almost be a Motown song, like in terms of the melody and chord changes. I see that. I think the uh, twin guitar thing at the beginning sort of thin Lizzy, but I also think the way that David delivers some of the uh, verses is a little bit uh, reminiscent of, of Phil Linet. That's just me. That's what I get out of it. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, uh, the twin guitar thing, there's been a lot of uh, comparisons with that song to that. Yeah, sure. I, it's it's all, like I said, it's all David's song. So Whose solo is that? Oh, uh, that's mine. That's a blazing solo. That's I got notes written down for each song, and, and my note simply says, blazing solo. <laughs> Thanks so much, man. <laughs> then we get to the first ballad on the record, When I Think of You, Color Me Blue. This, to me, reminds me of something that maybe could have come on on 87. What's the story with this tune? Yeah, once again, that's really David's song, the, the opening theme and everything, and then uh, I just tried to go with like a secondary theme for the solo and not think so, I guess, uh, shred or technical. I wanted to stay hooky and I'll just try to think of it like that, uh, Les Paul Uton, uh, like Clapton, wonderful tonight kind of thing. And I like the, uh, the solo for the hook element that I have in the middle on that one, but the song is all David's. Okay, cool. So we talked a little bit about it previously, but what was the writing process for you guys on this record? Since both you and Reb really had not written a bunch with David before this record, as far as original material goes, how did you guys share ideas and thoughts and come together? They were collected at various times. So with me, I was out to work with David on what became Unzipped. He was wanting me to kind of rework some of the the hits with acoustic and then talked about maybe wanting to put some new stuff on and he showed me the basic idea for after all and uh he said where would you go with that and we that was the first thing we ended up writing together oddly enough so i wrote a bridge to it or whatever in a little instrumental section and those little in the little intro and outro and all that stuff and so and that was, oddly enough, the first thing I wrote with David. And then I think while we were playing acoustic so much out there, there was some moment where we got a little bored with that and just plugged in my Les Paul and wrote uh, the riffs to Trouble is Your Middle Name. And, and he was like, oh, let's lay that down. And that was before we knew we were doing an album or anything. Uh, we were doing that just for fun. 
So that's an example of like where two of them came from on a trip out. And then there were other ideas that Dave, like a lot of my stuff with David came from him giving me like saying, where, where would you go with this? I have this idea. And, and I would finish it with him. And really kind of the same with Reb. I think Reb had a couple where he wrote the riffs all the way through. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the stuff came with David saying to either both of us or one of us, where would you go with this? Right. <laughs> and, okay. then, and then us just kind of, yeah, finding common ground with them. And that all happens kind of around his desk at the studio house. Um, so more like up in the living room and you just kind of hang, hang out and, and uh, hash out the form of songs real quick. And then you go into the studio area and, and demo it up. Okay. That's fair enough. It's interesting to hear that kind of thing. It's a, uh, just an interesting way to approach it, and it seems very organic and very easy that way. Yeah. Nowadays, I think people don't necessarily demo up songs anymore. They just kind of say, all right, okay, all right, so we'll do that. Yeah, let's record it. And uh, it still is nice to have the demos and, and really kind of listen to it without guitars in your hands to see how stuff hits you, I think, before you actually record it as a band. Or have stuff that you played on the demo version that you say, yeah, I liked what I did on that, even though there was no pressure on at the time. And Yeah, I would agree. I'm going to skip around a little bit. We talked a little bit already about Trouble's your middle name. Flesh and Blood. I love the dual harmony slides in the solo section. Is that one person playing it or are you guys actually doing kind of a harmony slide section there? I think we each played. Yeah, it's hard for me to remember, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, because that, well, that one's not in the set. So probably you haven't heard or played that tune since you recorded it, I'm guessing. Well, no, I've, I've definitely listened to it a lot. As you go, you've, I was part of, you know, taking mixed notes and, and things like that and sending it in um, to uh, David and to Chris Collier. But yeah, in terms of who, tracked exactly what parts sometimes i'm a little yeah. <laughs> a little hazy on but i think we probably both played the part Joel, if it's any uh, consolation to you, once we record a podcast and I edit this podcast and put it out there to the world, I don't listen to it again because I'm so sick of hearing it after I edit it all that, <laughs> that it's done. So people, you know, I'll get emails or I'll get text or I'll get messages from people that go, hey, what were you thinking about A, B or C? And I'll, I'm like, I don't remember that. I'm 50, 50 episodes past that by now, you know? So that's funny. I completely understand what you're saying because I'm guessing that uh, as a musician, once you record it and if you play it a, a thousand times, then that's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm done with it. Next. <laughs> well, it's, a, it, it's almost uh, too just by, by the when stuff gets released, there's been a window of time since you actually tracked it, since you actually laid it down. Yeah. Sure. That, and that obviously blurs some things, but sure. But yeah. Uh. 
Heart of Stone. This one has somewhat of a little bit darker feel to it, but I love the killer outro solo. I don't know whether that's you or whether that's Reb, but a really good outro solo on this song. Uh, let me pull up. <laughs> let me pull it up to actually tell you on that. I think the other day I, I sent uh, something out to somebody about the solo notes. Here we go. Solo credits and uh, Heart of Stone. So I did the outro solo. Yes, it's my outro solo. Good, good job, my friend. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I did the, the main solo and the outro solo on it. So. That, that's awesome. Yeah, I you know, to me, I listened to it. Not, first of all, I think both you and Reb are ridiculous players, so it doesn't really – it doesn't matter who I'm talking about. No, it doesn't. I'm I'm kidding. I'd be just as happy if Reb played it, but it's. <laughs> but but yeah. as a team, you guys did an amazing job on this record, and and I want that to come across. And in, in this interview, as we try to push this record out there to people that maybe haven't heard this record yet, they need to, as the next song says, get up off their asses and uh, go check it out. So this one, this song moves, man. There's a dual guitar solo in this song, Get Up, right? Yeah, there's like a, at the end, there's a trade, and then we kind of come together on a tapping thing that we were, we worked on together. Just kind of a, a lot of notes. We're paid by the note in that little part. It's been the night together, baby, you and me. We'll set the night on fire just to wait and see Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. After all. So we talked about that uh, earlier. That's the one that David had the basic idea for with the finger picking idea and everything. Kind of Beatlesy, oddly enough. But I didn't think it would make flesh and blood just because it's, I guess because it's it's an acoustic song and it it's mellow. and But uh, everybody kind of voted it on. David really liked it. He wanted it on the album. And, and so, of course, that was great news for me. Yeah, so here's my views on this song because I'm I'm absolutely not a ballad guy or a slow guy. I like I like you to crank your amps on 10 and stick my head in front of it, okay? That's that's where I come <laughs> from, but after all, I envision after all as being a song that will be played at weddings. I mean, this is a really pretty song. And you know, personally, I'm married, I got a wife, I can identify with this song and share this song with her. And, and it's just, uh, you know, it's a great song. Uh, I love it. Oh, thanks so much, man. Yeah. I mean, really most of the credit goes to David with that. He, he had the foundation of the guitar idea and of course he wrote the melody and the lyrics. So even though I, I, helped with it it it's really most of it has to do with david yeah but you see where i'm going with the wedding song thing right you can totally hear that i do the song itself is just it's a very pretty song and very delicate and that's almost what makes it 
David at the time said it was new territory for Whitesnake on an album. So I, I haven't really read that in any of the reviews or heard anybody saying that, but just the, the nature of it being, I guess, like a, you know, a finger style Beatles mm-hmm. kind of tune, Beatles ish kind of song. Yep. He considered that to be new territory. Fair enough. And then the last of the regular album before you kick into deluxe version, but Sands of Time, which for me is a very Zeppelin vibe, very cashmere feeling. Uh, what's the story on this tune? Yeah, that's Reb's opus, man. Reb, uh, uh, Reb came in with that one and had all the had the all the music written and David wrote the lyrics and melodies. So uh, that's a great. Th- I'm really glad that that made it on there. There's a lot of real straightforward stuff on flesh and blood which is by design but that's i I was glad that we were able to get a little bit more of a progressive type of tune on there too with various sections and i i think that added a a touch of uh class to the album yeah i can totally hear it on a white snake album it seems right up david's alley so i'm guessing maybe it was a fairly easy sale for for dave uh, and yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's a cool tune. It's opus was a good word. I think it wasn't. I think Reb had to present various versions before David went, <laughs> went ahead wow. and said, okay. Okay. So yeah, it wasn't an easy sell. Who can figure out what, uh, Mr. Coverdale is thinking. <laughs> Uh, so now the deluxe edition of the record, uh, I just really want to talk about one song in general, which is, uh, if I can't have you. If I can't have you, that and what's the story behind that song so david had the basic the uh if i can't have you yeah basically the uh i i don't know what you'd compare that to almost like a i guess like a zeppelin-y kind of shuffle or something uh, but it's a blues basically sure. bluesy kind of riff and then out of nowhere uh, we kind of fell across that the concept of that chorus becoming a little bit. It needed to go somewhere else. If it stayed in that same place, we, it just wasn't working. So we we ended up kind of, I guess, almost going to more of a Beatles ish kind of place for the chorus. And David had just brilliant idea of the band singing the hook and and him doing the the responses. And so yeah, there you go. Yeah, I like the acapella intro, and to me, for some reason, David's vocals on this song, this particular song, sound like they're a little bit older, meaning that he recorded them at a younger age. Not real young, I'm not talking about that, but it just sounds different because for me, when I listen to this record as a whole, he's singing sort of in a little bit lower register than what I normally remember him singing at. And that's probably just normal because the guy's older. 
Well, I think he he he's always keeping an eye on uh, live performance too, and and not killing himself. I think David did a fantastic job with uh, uh, singing like David Coverdale nowadays on this record, and I think his vocals came across great on the whole album. Yeah, hundred percent agree for sure. So that's really the record. Like I said, once again, great job with the record. It sounds like it was a fairly easy process for you. Any stories you want to share as a whole for the recording of this record? It's always just like putting uh, just something you love out into the world. You put a lot of, of work into it and heart and soul and you hope for the best. So do you try and do your best for the for the White Snake fan base and uh, for your bandmates and for yourself and just hope that people dig it in general. So um, we're all exceedingly happy right now at the reception. It seems like people really, really, really like the album. It, it's being really well received, and that's very exciting. That's fantastic. So before we let you go, let's find out about a couple things. One, will I see you again in February on Monsters of Rock 10? I believe that is the plan. Okay. So yeah, I should be there. Larry and I just kind of usually... Have, have a running agreement that I'm going to be doing my my uh, hangover set. That's kind of part of the, the cruise at this point. It's a tradition. So I agree. The Bloody Mary hangover. It was my first time partaking in the Bloody Mary hangover this past, oh, well, I guess this year, technically. And we'll be back next year. Uh, so that was, that was good. You can't, I mean, you really can't beat free Bloody Marys from me. I mean, <laughs> come on now. It doesn't even matter how, how, what the music is, right? If, I, if uh, I'm giving away free booze up there, come on. Technically, I'm not a big booze hound. I'm more of a wine drinker, but I enjoy just uh, the morning acoustic. And uh, for those that don't know what we're talking about, that haven't been on Monsters of Rock, uh, Joel plays an acoustic set and he invites a bunch of friends up from different bands, etc. And he gives away a bunch of free shit. I think he was giving away $20 bills at one point uh, this past time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for noticing that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, it's just turned into a fun little, I guess, casual set for me. And it's probably one of the only gigs where I sing every year. I, I sing a few tunes, cover songs and stuff like that for fun. And so, yeah, it's great fun. And I love being on that cruise. I think that's just the best rock cruise running, in my opinion. So uh, always great to be a part of it. It is, and uh, Reb's going to be on this one with uh, Winger, so who knows? We might get uh, Reb and uh, and Joel to do a White Snake tune or something like that. You never know. You never know. Yeah, you never know. That's right. But here's the important thing, and I know that this has been weighing very heavy on your mind, and so I'll ask because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that want to know, which is, have you been practicing your jump shot, my friend? <laughs> so you've been on my social media, I guess. Huh? Well, I've been on your social media, but I, like I said, I was also on the cruise. I don't know where you placed in the competition, but you took part in the competition that they have on the Monsters of Rock cruise, the shootout with uh, the various rock stars. Is that right? Well, that was... So what happened is the year before this past one, I played some cruisers that were up there playing basketball. And then I said to Larry, I said, next year we should have a thing where people can sign up to play me one-on-one. -on -one. And they, he was like, don't threaten me with a good time. He's like, that sounds like an awesome idea. So, And then what happened is, is some of the other rockers uh, coming on board heard about it. They wanted in. So Richie Kotzen heard, and he was like, hey, I, I'd love to be a part of that. Let's. So uh, who else? Uh, Jeff Scott Soto and Gary Sharon. And so... We ended up making it a three-on-three -three thing where three cruisers could pl basically play against three rockers. So play a play game of three-on-three, -three and and the rockers won this year. But I think it's going to be uh, hopefully turn into an annual tradition, just like the uh, Hangover Jam. But it, I'll tell you, man, it was great because it, it got myself up there every day trying to, you know, you don't want to embarrass yourself. So I'm up there where <laughs> practicing my. Uh, practicing my shot every day and and uh richie was up there too and so richie and i got to play uh one-on-one -on -one and and that's a great way for us musicians to get to hang too because we're not sitting there talking music or 
I'm not asking him a million questions about his guitar playing or his career. It was just kind of two guys having fun playing basketball. So that was, for me, that was the highlight of the cruise, actually. And uh, just getting to see all those guys in a totally different light and hang and have fun. And I feel like the cruisers feel that way, too, because it's like, hey, man, we're playing basketball against, you know, Gary Sharon and <laughs> Yeah, ridiculous, right? Fun for everybody. Well, and let me just uh, tell the people out there listening, if they have any visions of grandeur that they're going to come in and, and uh, just, you know, run away with a ball game. First of all, those of you that have never met Joel, Joel's like, seven foot one or something i don't know joel how tall are you i'm totally not seven foot one <laughs> you're I'm like six i'm between six two and six three i'm like six two and a half you're, so you're at, you're at least six three because i'm six one and and i think we took a photo and you're at least a head above me so <laughs> joel looks like a basketball player and i saw him hitting those jump shots on his social media and it's one after the other so yeah, you got game, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I I think in my younger years, back when I lived in the suburbs in Chicago, I used to teach a lot of get uh, lessons. So, so I would teach seventy students a week, and I did uh, six days a week basically. And almost every day, when I'd get done teaching, I'd go up to the Y, which wasn't far from there, and play. And in that little window of time, I was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. nowadays i'm just a guy who's too old to be playing basketball out there who's able to knock down some shots but that that's about it that's awesome well that's a good time how about the new michael sweet record i think you played something on that didn't you yeah i actually co-wrote two songs on it with them uh so same type of deal where you write the beds like i wrote the riffs and then michael wrote the lyrics and melodies and uh but obviously i played guitar on those two songs i i think the idea is he's kind of he wanted an album with a bunch of guitar players where he did that with a bunch of us so mm-hmm. you know we keep talking about the idea of doing an album together and and we just uh, the schedule and the business just hasn't come together on that but hopefully one day it does i, I like michael a lot he's a great guy and would love to work with him yeah well he's another one that'll be on the boat that you you guys can get some uh, networking done while he's on the boat. And maybe uh, he sits in on a song or two as well with you. Oh, right on. Excellent. Uh, so that's it then. Let's, uh, what's next for you? First of all, where can people find all they want to know about Joel Holkstra? Uh, so I still have a website, amazingly enough. <laughs> that's, <laughs> so that's good. I have a difficult name, though, so I'll spell it for everybody. Joel, J-O-E-L, and Hoekstra, H-O-E-K. S-T-R-A dot com, joelhoekstra.com. And you can link, literally link to any of my social media stuff just straight from there. And I, I'm usually pretty good about getting back to everybody. So uh, much appreciated any level of doing out there if you're streaming or buying or coming to the concerts. Uh, totally appreciate it and uh, the opportunity to live my dream. Yeah, and don't go up to the front of the stage at the concert. Joel's not throwing out twenty dollar bills at his concerts. So just FYI, you got to come no, on. No, that's a one time. That's that's <laughs> what makes the Hangover Jam special, man. The Bloody Mary. Uh, yeah, you only get the free shit there. Yeah, and we'll link to all your uh, your website and everything in our show notes. And then what well, you got TSO coming up in uh, October, November, December. Yeah, the tour itself is usually mid-November through December, yes. Yeah. Uh, Well, hopefully you'll be – you didn't make it through Duluth, uh, Georgia last time. We got the West Coast touring version of TSO for some reason. So Jeff Scott Soto was in my backyard, but you weren't last year. All right, Joel. Well, I appreciate you coming on and shooting the shit with us about this record. Great job once again. And uh, stay safe out on the road. We'll see you at the Monsters of Rock next year awesome thanks so much appreciate it bye bye get ready to shuffle rattle and roll play us out boys Taking the lead.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.